Hello from the members of Royce City Methodist Church. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you're blessed by this message today. You're invited to join us for worship anytime. You can learn more about our worship options, locations, and how to get plugged into the life of our church by visiting our website, RoyceCityMethodist.life. Today, we hear from our senior pastor, Reverend Chris Everson. May God bless you as you listen to His Word proclaimed. So we have officially entered a new season in the life of the church, and it's the season of Lent. If you are not familiar with what Lent is, Lent is the 40 days that come before Easter. And those 40 days are the, the weekdays. They're, they're not, they don't include uh, Sundays because Sunday is a day that we celebrate resurrection every Sunday. So from Monday through Saturday, count up to the 40 days of Lent and we will celebrate Easter on April the 9th, I believe this year. And one of the things that I absolutely love about the season of Lent, it gives us a time to reflect. It gives us a time to, to look and, and see what is happening in our own lives. And, and hopefully the season allows us to draw closer to who God is and, and through the love that we've received through Jesus Christ. That's why this year we're doing a series called Jesus the Stranger. And I've already had a couple of people come up to me whenever they saw the, the, the slides for it in past Sundays going, what do you mean Jesus the stranger? We, we know who Jesus is. I go, yeah, yeah, we do. We, we, we know who Jesus is, but when we take a look at Scripture, sometimes little things can be unpacked where we can know Jesus even more. You know, if we look at the lives of the disciples, they took time to grow and to understand and to know who Jesus is. And my prayer that during this season, we are able to do that too. By taking a look at the stories that Jesus interacting with people in everyday life and trying to understand so that we can know Jesus even more in our lives. So before we get started, I invite you to go to God in prayer with me. Let us pray. Oh God, we come to you in this season of Lent, knowing as we profess on Ash Wednesday that we are made of dust and the dust we will return, that our lives are lives lived in repentance, life lived in knowing you more. So Lord, we pray that as we begin this series, you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart here be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Well, today we are starting our series by the proclamation that Peter made of Jesus. You are the Messiah. But I wanted to kind of back up a little bit and, and talk a little bit about Peter. Peter, if you're familiar with him, he was a fisherman. He, he was out on the Sea of Galilee fishing for his family. And when Jesus came by and saw him and Andrew, he said, follow me. And Jesus and Andrew immediately picked up their nets and then they went and they followed Jesus. Peter is one of the uh, three disciples that if you were to use modern terminology, he would be considered part of Jesus's inner circle. You had, you had the 12 disciples that Peter was a part of and then you had Peter, 
James and John who, who had the ability or had the honor, if you will, uh, of taking little side trips with Jesus. One of the most important side trips that, that Peter took with, with James and John was what last Sunday was, which Transfiguration Sunday. They went up to the mountain of Transfiguration and they saw Moses and Elijah there beside Jesus as he was, uh, was brightly ordained and, and, and lit up, if you will. The other couple of trips that, that Peter had with James and John is that they went with him to Jairus' house whose daughter was dead, and, and, and they were able to see him raise her from the dead. And then the last time that we see Peter, James, and John off with Jesus alone is when Jesus took the disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, and then a stone's throw away, he took Peter, James, and John so that he could pray, and he left the other disciples behind. There is something special with the relationship that Jesus had with Peter, and I think part of that has to do with the proclamation that Peter makes in our scripture for today. Our scripture comes from Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 33. I invite you to follow along in your Bibles if you have them, or we'll have the words printed on the screen for you to follow along as well. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about this. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, by the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Peter turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this particular passage takes place towards the beginning of the gospel of Mark and really towards the beginning of, of Jesus' ministry. And, and while, while Jesus is off ministering, we see that, that Peter, James, and John, and the rest of the disciples are, are starting to catch a little bit of what this rabbi that they decided is to pick up everything and follow was able to do. We see that Jesus has done many different healings. He healed those who were demon-possessed. We, we didn't get quite to the moment where, where, where Peter walked on water yet, but they had experience of Jesus calming the waters of the Sea of Galilee. We also see that there was other things that Jesus has done and through his powerful teachings that, that Peter knew that there was something about him that there was something about Jesus that, that was more than just any other teacher that they may have had conversations with or, or interactions with. Jesus wanted to hear 
how the disciples were, were, were testing out in the crowd. So that's what this question is all about. He asked his disciples, what, what exactly are people saying about me? And so the disciples start to answer. And, and they've given the answers about the prophets of the past, of, 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 uh, of John the Baptist, of Elijah, and many other prophets. But see, the problem with this, though, we know that, that Jesus was not one of them. We go back to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was just killed a little while ago by, by Herod, and John the Baptist did everything that he could to make sure that people knew that he wasn't the one they were supposed to be following. That, that he was there to proclaim to them who it was they were to follow. In John chapter 3, verses 28 through 30, John says these words. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater, and I must become less. Now, we know that there is just a short lifespan between John the Baptist and Jesus, because when, Je when Mary went to go visit Elizabeth, John the Baptist was in Elizabeth's womb. And, and, and that relationship of those cousins, I'm sure they, they talked to one another here or there, even though they were quite a distance away. But, but John the Baptist being a younger person and knowing that Jesus was coming, he was preparing everyone. And I love the last line that he says in this particular passage. He says that uh, the joy is mine, it is complete, that he, who talk about Jesus, must become greater and I must become less. John the Baptist was preparing the way, and, and when Jesus came and, and met with him, John the Baptist proclaimed this, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not even worthy to carry. And as Jesus came to him at the Jordan River, John the Baptist said, you're the one who needs to baptize me, not the other way around, but Jesus because of his work and his task, had John the Baptist baptize him to prepare the way for the ministry that was about to happen. Well, what about Elijah? Elijah probably makes a little bit more sense because there's a bigger age, age gap between the two. But, but Scripture continually points that Elijah was the one that came, to, came before the Messiah to proclaim his birth. The, the work that Elijah did all the way back in the, in the book of Kings all pointed to who Jesus is. And when Jesus was on that mountain of transfiguration, Elijah was there, pointing that Jesus was there to, to bridge together the teachings of the law along with the teachings of the prophets. I think the problem, the answer that Jesus was more in tune with or, or, or probably more answered and thought this could be a better answer was that, that he was one of the prophets. But even though that was not correct, he knew that people actually saw him in a different light. He knew that people actually saw him in a way that, that was different. And there was something that they needed to pay 
attention to. But then here comes the kicker. Jesus looks to the 12 that he is doing life with, and he answers the, asks the question, who do you, those who are around me, who do you say that I am? And that's where we get Peter's confession. You are the Messiah. Plain and simple, easy. It's, it's so obvious who you are. But then something happens. Jesus starts to tell the disciples things that aren't quite Messiah-ish. They, they, they aren't quite the things that somebody who came to help free the people would actually do. See, in, in the history between the two testaments, this 400-some years, writings came about talking about how somebody would come to restore David's throne, to destroy the sinners, and rid Jerusalem of all Gentiles. This view started to, to, to put into the lives of the first century's Jews that they were looking forward to being set free from the cap captives of Rome so they could have their own place, so they could have their own agenda, if you will. But Jesus turns all that they were saying on his head, saying, look, people aren't going to like me. People are going to despise me. People are going to want to to kill me because that is what I have come to do. I have not come to, to lift up high, powerful things, but I have come to serve. And my, that is what I am to do. I always love thinking about how Peter called Jesus over to rebuke him. I, I could see Peter going, you know, I, I don't want to embarrass Jesus in front of the other 12, so I'm going to do this. Hey, Jesus, come, come on over here for a second. And, and, and he takes Jesus, puts his arm over him, and says, hey, about all of this dying stuff and, and serving stuff, I don't think you mean that. And Jesus then rebukes Peter and says, you are not thinking about what the kingdom of God is about, but you are thinking about your own needs. Now, we do know this is where we have the get behind me Satan line, and, and there, there's a lot of discussion about exactly what that means, whether Jesus is, is specifically talking to Jesus or Jesus is talking to Peter. But I think the thing that we need to understand and recognize is that Peter didn't have a full understanding of what Jesus was called to do. In other words, that even though Peter spent all of this time with Jesus, he was still yet a stranger to Peter. Well, what does that do with us? How, how, how do we live into that as his disciples here and now? I think sometimes we can fall into that trap too. I, I think it's easy for us to, to take a look at Jesus as our Savior, but we don't really quite understand what that means. Back in the 90s, there was a, a Christian group by the name of Jars of Clay. 
and they had a song called Love Song for a Savior, and it's a song that I just played over and over and over again and, and, and love listening to it. But there's a, a certain line that's in this song that I think gives us a glimpse of how we still miss who Jesus is. And there's these two lines that says, it seems too easy to call you Savior, but not close enough to call you God. And I think what, what Jars of Clay is saying is that it's so easy to say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, but you know, I, I, I'm going to hold you there. I'm, I'm not going to draw you in close so that you know me, so that you understand me, so that you, you love me. I, I just want you so I can be saved from my sins, but the rest of my life I'm just going to put over here so you don't have to touch it. Or maybe more accurately, you can't touch it. But see, when we understand that sometimes it's easy for us to call Jesus our Savior, but it's harder for us to live in that relationship to fully allow God to love us as we are. Paul was very clear that, that, that Jesus wasn't or isn't confined to the Scriptures. And, and what I mean by that is that we understand and we know Jesus through the Scriptures, but one of the things that Paul continued to say is that Jesus is not only in a book, Jesus is in us. Jesus dwells in us. Jesus lives in us. If we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul writes, Or do you not realize about yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? And then in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. I don't know if you can get even closer to Christ than that, being crucified with him. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith, the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And there are many other passages that, that talks about how Christ lives in us. When we accept Christ, when, when we say that he is our Lord and Savior, when, when we say that he is our God, we mean that God now dwells inside of us and is a part of who we are. I think what Peter missed, and I think sometimes we miss, is that the life that we share with God in and through Christ Jesus is an experiential life, it, which means that, that we just don't sit here and say, okay, I, I, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. No, we are called to live into that life and to have that life dwell in us so that Christ makes his home in our heart and we share that love with others. So, so how, how do we have this experiential life? Well, first is, is through prayer. When we take the opportunity to pray, we are saying, God, the, the, the life that I have with you, the, 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 the way that we experience life with you isn't something that is far away, but you are nearer even than to my breath. And, and the prayers that I pray are prayers that are lifted to you 
right here. And when I say those prayers, I am inviting you into my entire life, the, the whole messiness of it, the whole joy of it, the whole sorrow of it. I want you to be a part of everything that I am. And when we allow those prayers to, to be prayed, we are saying, God, there is not a single part of me that I want hidden from you. I want you fully dwelt inside of me. Another way that we experience God is what we're doing right here, is when we gather. Gathering is such an important thing. I, I was able to be a part of the women's retreat for the very beginning to lift up a prayer, and I, and I watched a little bit as the worship started to happen and as the, the fellowship started to happen, and it was just amazing to see the joy the, the, the camaraderie, if you will, the, the, the peace that was passed among those who were here. Uh, Pastor Francis mentioned that there is a walk to Emmaus, a women's walk that's happening right now, and I've been a part of, of several walk to Emmaus, and I know several of you have been a part of walk to Emmaus, and, and, and just the joy that is a part of that experience to allow the fellowship of those who are at your table or who are in your community to gather together and let the precious love of Jesus enfold you in that moment. Another way that we experience is through serving. One of, my, one of my favorite passages in Matthew is a story about the sheep and the goats in Matthew 23 and, and how important it is, and Jesus reminds us that when we see people who are hungry, we feed them. When we see people who are naked or in prison, we, we give them clothes and we visit them. When they are sick, we help take care of them. When we do those type of things, we are experiencing a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then finally, when we worship, which, yes, we are in worship, but worship takes place in many different places than here in the sanctuary. This is a part of it, but when you take the opportunity to worship and allow God's love to fill you out in the community or out and around, you feel the presence of God in you. I know one of the ways that I've seen here recently is some of, we've had some very beautiful sunrises and sunsets, and people are taking pictures of them, and you can see a air of, of worship in the midst of those pictures. It, it, it takes your breath away. When you have the experience to, to be a part of what God is doing in and around us, it leads to doxology. It leads to worship. It leads us to say, God, you are not only my Savior, but that you are mine and I am yours. So as we begin the season of Lent, uh, our, our spiritual practices for Lent are in your bulletin. I invite you to take these home and be in prayer and see how you can use those. Worship is something a lot more than just empty-headed worship. Worship is a lot more than just running through the, the routine of, of what we do here, but saying, God, I am giving my whole self to you. So there are three different exercises that I invite you to, to, to play around with this week. The second one is read Psalm 104, 31 through 105 
5, a loud and a quiet place. Think about what phrases stand out to you. Why are you drawn to those phrases? Or then even just take a moment, and if you're all by yourself, that's great. Sing a hymn or a song that means a lot to you. Something that draws you closer to God, like how great thou art, or for the beauty of the earth, or shout to the Lord. Allow those songs while you're in silence or alone or away from other people to lift your heart to God and say, God, I don't want you just to be my Savior, but I want you to be my all and all. Let us pray. Oh God, sometimes it's easy for us to take a look at you and, and give thanks, which we should, for how you have saved us, how you have loved us, and how you have taken care of us. But God, we know that you want a lot more from us. Not to say that we're not doing it right or or that we must do better, but to say, I just want you, who you are, what you do. I want you to know that you are loved by me. And the grace that I pour out on you is the grace that I give abundantly. So God, as we continue in this season of Lent, draw us to true worship of you. Bind our hearts with yours so that we may feel your love and grace in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.